Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And tonight I'm really excited to have as my guest, Lori Ellington. Lori offers tools to help people break through negative patterns and create healthy, sustainable, empowering, and ethical non-monogamous relationships. Welcome to the show, Lori. Uh, thank you, Sumati. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So, Lori, um, you are—you uh, call yourself a poly coach, open relationship expert. Um, tell me what what all these different terms mean to you, and and what what term, what label do you most commonly use in your own life? So I love that you started with that question because I I have a post um, that addresses that and. Uh, like I use the word open relationship and polyamorous uh, interchangeably. I know for myself, like I like to stay away from the labels completely. Um, and yet I'm aware that people um, use certain words, certain labels to describe themselves. So I don't necessarily have a preference um, for myself. I know that some people do um, see those words, those terms differently. And for example, op- people in open relationships might, um, you know, allow them to allow each other to uh, date other people or have sexual relationships with other people. And yet they may be more um, emotionally monogamous, whereas polyamorous people may um, not have that. They may allow themselves to completely fall in love with other people and there's sort of a non-hierarchical agreement that um, they follow in their relationship. So I guess I have um, a little bit of each in in my lifestyle. I do have a primary partner and we um, are life partners and we are sort of planning our lives together and live together and everything and yet we do have the freedom to date other people and have other relationships. So Again, it's like sometimes it gets really confusing um, <laughs> to to describe to any one person like, uh, you know, using a term because everyone has their own ideas and their own stories about it. So I just really encourage people to um, not necessarily base their life or their choices on a term, but to just really feel into what feels best for them. And if they have a term that resonates with them, great. And if they don't have a term that resonates with them, then, you know, that's okay too. It's not so much about the term. It's more about how people show up and really feel comfortable living the life and being in the kind of relationship they want to be in. Right. Um, yeah, I feel like there's kind of this evolving vocabulary for um, people who practice alternative relationships. Um, even the word polyamory is a relatively new term in our in our, our vocabulary, and just even in the last couple of years, um, it's become more mainstream. Uh, and still, some people even haven't even heard of it. Um, and we kind of start using this term non-monogamous as kind of an umbrella term, but it kind of rubs me the wrong way that we're using a negative term, like we're we're relating to ourselves yeah. as something that we're not, we're not mainstream monogamous, um, but I'd really like to have our own word that envelops everything, and that hasn't appeared yet. <laughs> Maybe we can invent it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's very true. I I agree with you 100%. I think for me, I like the idea of having a word that is um, like as free and expressive as the lifestyle. 
and uh, mm-hmm. sometimes open relationship just seems to be the more open term. Um, but again, like it really just depends what, what feels good to people. And yeah, like you, I'm waiting for that term to uh, magically appear. We're all going to say, yes, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I first learned about uh, polyamory, uh, I was, it was about 20 years ago. My roommate came home, and she said she met this guy who was polyamorous, and he had some kind of a trifold brochure that talked about it. And they had this explanation of primary partner, secondary partner, and that was just a given that there was this hierarchy of primary and secondary. And now I'm noticing an evolution to where there's a lot of people who don't want to use those terms, and I've heard the term nesting partner used a lot. Um, to describe, mm-hmm. okay, I live with this person because um, nobody really, I mean, some people want to be a secondary if they also have another primary, but if they don't have a primary, it doesn't always feel good to be called a secondary. Um, there's something belittling about that to some people. Um, so I heard you use the term primary. So what does that mean to you, and how do you honor your other partners and value them when you have this other person that you kind of value more in a way. Uh, Can you talk about that? Yeah. um, Again, like, I don't necessarily get hung up on the terms. Um, Like, my... The partner that I live with, um, you could call him my soulmate. Um, we call, we use the word primary partner. It feels good to us uh, because we mm-hmm. have our lives so um, connected. And um, and when I've dated other people, like some people actually like the idea of being a secondary partner. Um, they like the idea mm-hmm. of not having the responsibility of you know a main um, nesting partner or you know someone who's going to be there all the time for me, you know, so I guess it just really depends on who, like how people's relationship to the word. Um, I've never had a problem with, you know, the, the term secondary partner. And in fact, when I heard that that was an issue for some people, I just sort of like cocked my head and was like, really? Like, why would that be an issue? And so, um, yeah, I, I think, again, it's like, for me, it speaks to the ego, you know, um, when people get really, um, when they start to get bent out of shape around certain terms. And like, again, I, I don't have a very solid um, preference uh, for terms, but for, for me, I just, you know, my partner and I just, we've sort of come to feel comfortable with the term. Um, and, you know, if he decided to see someone else and that person was sort of like at the same status or I don't know, like I get kind of confused with all the different statuses and stuff. And um, Mm -hmm. I don't have a, a set plan as to how my relationship or how the lifestyle looks for me. Like I know what it looks like today and it continues to evolve. And so I think to like any new person coming in, like that would be, they wouldn't have the same kind of relationship with me that I would with my partner because we have so much history already. And yet that doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean that they, and like my relationship with them would need to be, um, uh, I don't know, like it doesn't, I don't know, like my, my, my mind doesn't work that way to, um, you know, get upset with the terms. Um, I understand mm-hmm. that some people do, and yet my mind doesn't really understand that. Mm-hmm. Got it. And I think just like all of um, non-monogamy, we need to communicate. So 
we need to communicate with each yeah. other about who we are to each other and what our needs are, and that's under like it's deeper than the labels. The labels often imply yeah. things, so if we can kind of hold the labels lightly and then talk about what our needs are and are we meeting each other's needs, that's the ultimate um, concern. Absolutely. And that's actually the core of my work is like rather than get hung up on the label or hung up on the feeling, it's like what's the underlying need there and then how can we use, you know, how can we use words to communicate our experience in a healthy way. And so that I think is where the coaching comes in is just how to help people really get underneath the super, the superficial layer layer and just really check in with what's important, what's moving them, um, what needs to be heard, what needs to be shared and, you know, find a way to be with that. And that can be really vulnerable. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and it reminds me of a friend of mine who's um, a mainstream relationship coach. Uh, one of her clients just said, I'm so glad you, you taught me how to talk about sex because I always thought sex was something you just did rather than talked about. <laughs> and I think the same oh, wow. true for <laughs> any kind of relationship is that we often just fall into patterns of relationship that we learn from our families and we don't examine it and we don't have a conversation like in a, in a mainstream monogamous relationship, people don't often start out by saying, well, what kind of a monogamous relationship do we want to have? And what are our boundaries? So I think that monogamous right. people can learn a lot from non-monogamous people about how to have those conversations and how to design our relationships, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I was uh, working with someone once, and she said um, that she was considering writing a book, and it was going to be entitled something like, everything I learned, everything I know about monogamy I learned from um, polyamorous relationships or something like that. Like, you know, how how to be in a healthy monogamous relationship, I learned it from people in polyamorous relationships, you know, because it's sort of Mm -hmm. like people that tend to be, I think it's a social programming. Like my relationship with um, monogamous relationships is that, you know, we kind of get in a box, we get comfortable, uh, we get engaged in certain patterns and certain dynamics. And then we kind of, sometimes lose touch with our voice and, and uh, lose touch with that essence. And, you know, the social programming just kind of kicks in and, and then we just sort of get quiet. And then years later people wake up and they say, Oh my God, like what's going on? I've lost myself. I don't know where I am and I need to find myself. And so I think uh, stepping into a non-monogamous relationship um, really requires that people speak up and find ways to address what's going on and uh, really honor themselves and honor other people's needs as well and just really do our best to, you know, own our experience and help others do the same. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And I want to get more into how you help people with um, changing patterns. Uh, dysfunctional or patterns that aren't working anymore. But before we do, I want to dig a little deeper into your history of non-monogamy and how you ended up becoming a a coach for this lifestyle. Yeah, sure. So um, like most people, I had a history of being in monogamous relationships. And, you know, there were some things I really liked about the lifestyle and there were some things that I didn't. And one thing that just kept coming up relationship after relationship was that I often felt like I was trapped, felt like there was something inside me that wasn't being, um, wasn't being, wasn't flourishing. It wasn't blossoming. And so 
I found myself in a relationship that was um, probably one of the hardest relationships I was ever in. It was incredibly codependent and learned a lot of very, very difficult, challenging lessons. And uh, finally that ended. And when it did, I sort of had to uh, clean myself off. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I am never, (laughs) never, never going to go back to anything like that kind of relationship because in that relationship, I really saw how I lost myself and I just knew that I wasn't happy. And so when that relationship ended, I just made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to go back. And some time passed and um, I was not dating for a while. And then I started dating and there was this guy that I had known for many, many years and he was a longtime friend. And all of a sudden there was this spark of attraction between us that, um, you know, was kind of dimly lit years prior, but never really, you know, took hold. And so it was around that time that I started dating again, that he showed up and, you know, we started, we, we had met on the dance floor. And so we were dancing around each other and having a good old time. And, and then, you know, the attraction started getting more intense and it's really funny because the day we call our anniversary is the day that um, we set up a phone call and um, he said, okay, listen, he's like, I'm Polly. I'm always going to be Polly. I'm always going to have another girlfriend and I'll probably have two girlfriends if I can help it. Um, And if you think (laughs) you can handle that, let's talk. And I was like, wow, like this is really interesting because, you know, in my mind, he was someone that I had already known. So I already trusted him. Um, and he was very attractive and he was presenting to me this kind of being in relationship that I had never considered before because I didn't really know it was an option. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden I was like, wow, like you can do that. Like, so that means like if you get to have another girlfriend or go out with other people and follow your desires, like I get to do that too. I was like, is that true? And he said, absolutely. I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> And so it really felt like the universe was like presenting a new kind of relationship for me. And, you know, he was really excited too, because he was, you know, looking for, um, you know, sort of like a, a primary, like home-based relationship where we just could, could really be on the same team and really support each other. And so that was over five years ago. And, you know, I'm telling you, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Um, it's been a journey. I've learned a lot. That was my first, well, that was my first conversation about open relationships. And so I'm still in my first, you know, polyamorous relationship. And it's amazing. Um, we have, um, from the beginning, we had one rule that was 100% transparency um, because each one of us prior to starting our relationship uh, we were each in like the hardest relationship we'd ever been where we just learned these crazy lessons and each one of us was like we're not going to go back to that and so we just made a promise like to always be true to ourselves and to share you know what was coming up for us and to just really support each other in working through different kinds of situations and um, you know sometimes we've asked for outside help and uh you know, we've just really um, flourished in, in this relationship together, and we're just so happy. So I love it. Awesome. Yeah, I think so many of us who are coaches um, went to the school of hard knocks. <laughs> I often say yeah, right? that I made, all the mis- <laughs> I made all the mistakes so my clients don't have to make them or they don't have to sit in the mistakes for as long as I sat in them. Um, I think when you have outside help, you can um, – have an outside pair of eyes that says, you know, hey, I don't think you're getting your needs met there. You know, can I support you moving along or trying something different or uh, sharing something different? Yeah. So what were some of the struggles that you had that helped you become a better coach? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, one thing, um, when my partner and I started dating, I was already a year into a coaching program, uh, and that coaching mm-hmm. program was sort of, was part of my healing process from my previous relationship. Like, I had always mm-hmm. been a teacher and uh, worked with people in numerous capacities, just sort of helping them improve their lives and then, you know, help make healthy choices. And so when I was in this two-year coaching program, that's when I learned how to break through some of those limiting beliefs and patterns that had kept me stuck in an unhealthy relationship. And so once I was done with that unhealthy relationship and my partner and I were together, I had another year of this training and that's where it became really clear of like, wow, like I could actually use my coaching training to help me (laughs) move through some of these challenges and you know some of them came from insecurity um when my partner and I started dating he had um uh, had already like he was in a year-long relationship with someone who was in an open marriage and so you know I came into the lifestyle feeling like the underdog (laughs) like I came into the lifestyle feeling really really green and um because we had this agreement of 100% transparency you know I was able to talk with him about my feelings that were coming up and in doing so, I was able to see how normal I was for having feelings. Like lots of times people think that when they have a feeling, it means that they're weak or they're a bad person or they're not good enough or whatever. Or they're so, not involved enough. Exactly, exactly. So I found <laughs> myself coming into the lifestyle comparing myself to my mind, you know, and then I mm-hmm. realized, like, no, I don't have to do that anymore. And so – Again, it was like the conversations and the growth that my partner and I did together um, really sort of, it stood out um, for other people and people in our community would come up to us and they'd say, wow, like you guys look so happy. You're glowing and you're in an open relationship. Like how is this possible? And so we shared with them like some of the things that we were doing and how we would navigate through certain situations. And then before we know it, before I knew it, my partner and I looked at each other, we're like, wow, like there's a possible business here if we blend your experience with the lifestyle like my experience with the lifestyle and my coaching business like all of a sudden Holly Coach was born and so that's where I really put all my time and energy into um, helping people who are curious about and or considering or just actively engaged in ethical non-monogamy and they are sort of coming up against, um, you know, pitfalls or little bumps in the road and so I act as that sounding board to just help people realize yeah like it's normal. Things come up. Feelings are normal. What's really important is to just have a space to be able to be really present with what's coming up and get underneath those feelings. Like what's the need there? Is there a need for connection? Is there a need for reassurance? Is there a need for love? Is, is there like whatever the need is and more often than not, the need comes from an unmet need from childhood. So again, Mm -hmm. I just find myself going down the rabbit hole with my clients and before you know it, they're aware of, oh my gosh, like I had no idea that that's how that was impacting my current relationship. I can shift that. So yeah, I just, I don't know. It's sort of like a energetic chiropractic adjustment that I get to do with clients when I work with them. (laughs) It's really exciting. That's a great analogy. So does your partner coach with you? No, he doesn't. Um, He has his own separate business, uh, but um, I was the one, and he's very full-time with his business, um, I was the one that was wanting to break out of my previous full-time job and start my own business. So 
Yeah, he's he's he sees me as as the the coach. So that's that's kind of my role that I've taken on, and, and I love it. Perfect. Um, so some of the challenges you had were um, just you know accepting your emotions and um, making space for them and learning how to grow through them. Um, but what what would you find would be the benefits from being in an open relationship? How have you benefited benefited from it? Um, I'd say probably one of the biggest things for me is that, uh, like my, the, the rate in which I'm able to slow down (laughs) and be present with what's happening in the moment without getting caught up in the past or the future is huge. Um, it's, and that's been a really big learning curve for me because like I was never brought up or educated or taught as a child to feel things. And so, you know, having a loving partner who's okay with holding space for me if I'm having a feeling of insecurity or a feeling of jealousy. It's like I've learned that, wow, these feelings are actually normal. Like it's okay to have these feelings. Like some people consider, um, you know, they, 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 they look at, polyamory and open relationships and then they look at the potential feelings of jealousy and insecurity they're like oh no I can't do that I, I, I can't do that I was like, well, well hold on a second like even if you were in a, a monogamous relationship like you're still going to have feelings you know so I'd say you know one of the biggest things for me as an individual is that um, I have learned that feelings are okay and that I'm okay for having feelings and you know, so that's the first thing is like getting really present with my experience. The second thing is like communicating, like I'm able to communicate my feelings. And so, yeah, I may feel a little bit nervous about sharing something with my partner or my partner may share something with me and I may have a reaction to it. And so I've found ways to communicate just very um just very bluntly, like, wow, like I'm having a feeling and I'm aware that this feeling is tied to a belief and it tells me that I'm not good enough. And I cognitively know that that's not true, but there's some sort of energy in my body that has a need right now. And can you just hug me? <laughs> you know, So, um, mm-hmm. you know, finding the words and, and the ability to communicate and, you know, it's like we have this incredible trust in our relationship that we've developed over the years where, you know, and this is also part of a spiritual practice that we do is that we meditate and we um, just really have cultivated a lot of mindfulness and a lot of presence in our relationship and just in our lives in general so that, you know, when something comes up, it's like, oh, it's coming up to be looked at or it's coming up to be healed or it's coming up to be loved. And so we're no longer afraid to bring something up that may be challenging to talk about, um, which is huge. And, um, and mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, probably one of the most um, obvious perks is that, you know, we have the kind of relationship where we actually have our cake and eat it too. You know, it's sort of we have an amazing relationship and we have the freedom to date other people and have different kinds of relationships with other people. And um, that in turn, you know, creates more excitement in our relationship and we just have a really great connection all around. Mm-hmm. I love what you said, um, how you and your partner hold it so that when feelings come up, you look at it as, oh, it's something coming up to be looked at or something coming up to be loved. Uh, it's such a mature mm-hmm. way to hold it. Now, I'm sure you're not perfect at it, but um, how do no. you get to the point <laughs> where you're not getting triggered 
And because when you get triggered, it's really hard to remember to hold it that way. So how did you yes. overcome that feeling of, like, anger or um, when we get triggered from our childhood issues? How did you get to the point where you could hold it in such a beautiful way where you say, okay, this is coming up for us to look at and love? Yes. Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, just briefly, I've been doing a lot of mindfulness practices and meditation and spiritual work. And um, maybe some of your listeners have heard of Vipassana meditation, which is Mm -hmm. a form of meditation where it is very um, presence-based and Mm non-reaction-based. And so I did that um, and I would, I got a lot out of that, but I've also got a lot out of working with um, some spiritual teachers. And so one of the things that I've, um, I've come to practice and then also see, you know, play out in my life and then see play out in other people's lives is that when we have um, any sort of trigger come in to our bodies, like it comes in in the form of sensation, like our bodies are the first responders. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so like our, our throat might clench or our heart might tighten, or we might have this weird feeling in our stomach. So what happens is as we slow our reaction time down, we're able to become more aware of the body's process when it has um, a reaction to something. So first it was the sensations that we feel, then we feel emotions, then we have thoughts and stories, and then we have behaviors. And so if we consider that as like a spectrum, then we're able to stop or slow things down at any point. Because if I'm having a feeling based on something that my partner is saying, I can just like press the pause button. That's my magic thing that I do <laughs> in, in my mm-hmm. own experience. And I encourage my clients to do is like whenever there's a trigger and like I'm not, and I can find myself sort of sinking into or losing presence or all of a sudden I'm just, you know, I just have been um, kidnapped by hijacked. Exactly. If I get hijacked by an emotion, like, at some point I may be speaking or I may be crying or whatever. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm doing it. And so I just press the pause button or my partner presses the pause button. And, you know, we're, we're aware of like, Oh, like this is happening because we've done this enough. Like we've got a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. So we're aware of when our energy changes and we call that out as soon as we notice it. So that if he says Mm -hmm. something and I'm noticing a feeling, I'm going to say, Oh, hold on. I've got to like press the pause button and raise my hand and be like, I'm having a feeling, you know? And so I might, share, you know, I might ask him if he can talk for five minutes or something like that, or if we could sit down and, and I say, yeah. And I, then I begin to, so, so once I say pause, then like all of a sudden the space is created for us to look at something. And so if he's having a feeling, he may say, wow, like I'm aware that I'm having this feeling and feels kind of weird to say, cause it doesn't really make sense, but I'm feeling jealous or I'm feeling a little mad that you're having an experience that I'm not having or, or whatever. And so we sort of give space for the feeling and give space for the story about the feeling, but we also are very vigilant not to let the feeling or the story hijack our experience. Okay. And so that takes a lot of time, a lot of practice and a lot of awareness. Um, And so one thing that has also helped me, and I just learned that there's a modality for this, even though, you know, I've been doing it for a lot longer than, you know, before I knew the modality, but it's called um, internal family systems. And so what I've learned is that we have these different parts 
of our personalities that get triggered. And so at any given point, there's one part that's in the driver's, you know, the driver's seat or one part that is acting its role. Okay. And so like right now you're in the interviewer part and I'm in the interviewee part, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, if my partner was um, sharing something with me and I was having um, like a very, negative experience like I might be in like a two-year-old part you know or I might be in a very young part and so that young part has its behaviors and has the things that it says usually it gets mad and it wants to control the environment like that's that's the part's script are you following me absolutely and so as I sorry go ahead Okay, so I've, I've been doing this with one of my spiritual teachers, and then I've also been reading about this, and it's really fascinating because when people can become aware of which part is in the driver's seat at any, any given time, it's the awareness of the part that actually can help people break out of unconscious patterns and beliefs and like really help them shift the behavior. So it's the awareness of, oh, I think I'm in a part right now because my part really wants to yell at you. I know you haven't done anything wrong, but like there's a part of me that's like telling you off right now and just wants to like, you know, tell you all these mean things, but you haven't done anything wrong. But it's like these, these we have these little sort of characters that get triggered and they are um, acting out in service to a wounded part of us that does not know how to get its needs met. And so we have all of these defense mechanisms and all of these behaviors set in place unconsciously because like they've been, we've been using them for years, probably since we were childhood. And so like they're serving a purpose to protect a wounded part of our, of ourselves that maybe didn't get love when we were a child. And now all of a sudden Something on the something in the environment is triggering it, and it's like, oh no, red alert, red alert, we have to do something. And so once mm-hmm. we begin to learn about these parts, and once we begin to see how they play out, then we get to talk to them and say, oh wow, I'm aware that I have this part that is protecting me from you. And wow, if I dig a little deeper, I'm aware that I feel really scared right now because I think that something bad is going to happen. And so that's where. We have those moments of, wow, it's coming up to be looked at, to be healed, and to see what might be needed. Like maybe there's an unresolved pain that can be resolved. And so mm-hmm. that's, I could, go, I could go on, but. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. That's, I that. that's, that's um, the gist. Yeah. Um, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with Lori Ellington, uh, non-monogamy expert, and I love that you were talking about the parts. I'm very aligned with that, and we just uh, covered that in a retreat I was in last weekend. And I also oh, helped a couple. Yeah, I also helped a couple recently, who um, the woman was getting hijacked, um, almost like a PTSD response under certain mm-hmm. circumstances, and I helped them to. Uh, she got permission from her partner to ask her whenever he noticed that she was in that hijacked mode to say mm-hmm. um, how much of how much of you is being hijacked right now. And just asking mm. her that question, 
she could say, oh, it's nice. it feels like 100%, but just naming it and having that awareness allowed her to go, well, maybe it's 90%, and then take mm-hmm. a cup of grass and, okay, it's feeling like about 60% now. <laughs> so very quickly, yeah. just from the awareness of it, it starts to subside to where then it's 50-50, and now you, now you can work with it because it's 50-50. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I love Fascinating that. Fascinating work, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I also love that you talked about meditation, and I don't hear a lot of open relationship coaches talking about this. I also teach my clients to use the who am I Zen Cohen to just meditate on the question, who am I? And because I I believe that that. when when we know who we really are, we can tap into ourselves as pure pure consciousness, which is what we really are. When we can get a taste of that and tap into that, and, and this is primarily a tool I use for when people are having a lot of jealousy, um, that there's enough love for everyone because we're all infinite love and infinite consciousness. So I think it's really important to include the spiritual element into our coaching. So I'm really glad to hear that you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very important cool. to me. And it's, I, I've mm-hmm. seen the benefits. <laughs> it's like when you see the benefits mm-hmm. of meditation and you see the benefits of awareness and then you see that, wow, like the benefit is like more space, more openness, more possibilities, more expansion, more ability to be okay with what's happening. Uh, It just keeps me in the flow of things. And it just, even if things are, you know, even if I'm having a bad day, like that's okay because I'm human and humans have bad days every once in a while. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be the end of the world. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the other tools that you use besides meditation um, I know it's, it's really common for, for us to come into non-monogamy from our monogamous programming so there's a lot of false beliefs that show up um, and for example I, I went on a date with somebody recently and one of the questions I ask people is if they're in another if they're in a nest, have a nesting partner or they have a primary partner I ask them do you guys have the veto because I know that I don't want to date somebody who, you know, we could be falling in love three to six months from now and then their partner can just pull the plug with no conversation and no negotiation. I'm not going to risk my heart if we don't even get to talk about it and try to find a win-win before they just Mm -hmm. pull the plug on it. So I have a judgment that when a couple has a veto power over each other, that that's based on monogamous programming. That's my judgment. Um, I think it's a way mm. to help them feel safe in polyamory. So I want to ask you about that in particular, about the veto, but also some of the other false beliefs that you see uh, showing up in people when they're new to open relationships. Sure. So the veto, that's an interesting one. Um, where I see the veto coming in um, as a tool that could be helpful, like I totally agree with you, first of all. Um, that communication needs to be, be the, the, the tool, the go-to if there's any sort of relationship um, issue or problem when there's more than one person. So I, I'm in totally agreement with that. Um, I would say where the veto might be something to consider is if one of the partners is involved with someone who is demonstrating incredibly unhealthy behavior and mm-hmm. it's sort of uh, – it's, it's just – it's more for the health of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm talking unhealthy behaviors. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. where 
things can get a little dicey if someone is really wrapped up in, um, say, new relationship energy or something like that. Like they may be blind to something. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's where, you know, addressing or bringing up veto, but like not just vetoing, like bringing it up and be like, all right, hey, there's some concerns here. And then you communicate, you know, so um, that's where I Mm -hmm. see that could be handy and helpful. Um, But I also think that if couples have or if people have agreements um, before they even engage in any kind of relationship with someone else, then the veto could, you know, sort of be avoided. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Communication, communication, when in doubt, communicate. (laughs) Right. And we can talk more about communication. And then I wanted to, um, can you add request, I mean, can you repeat the other question that you wanted me to address? Yeah, I got lost other with kind of false, what other false beliefs um, do you find are common that show up with people that are new to open relationships? I'd say probably one of the biggest ones is, is I'm not good enough. Mm. Um, so, like, there'll be a couple that's uh, considering opening up their relationship and generally... Well, I mean, not generally, but maybe one person is more eager uh, than the other. And so that person is just really excited and they see the possibility of having multiple relationships and how that could positively impact their uh, nesting relationship. And yet the other person who's a little hesitant all of a sudden has this flood of emotion coming up and, you know, their their behavior is, is sort of becomes more controlling and a lot of that is because they have a sense that they're not good enough. Oh, my partner is going to see someone else because I'm not good enough. Oh, my partner wants to have sex with other people because I can't please my partner in that way. Or, oh, my partner wants to date this kind of person and I'll never be that kind of person. So it's like sometimes people will defer to those sad stories, those young stories of, oh, man, like I'll never match up. I'm, I won't be good enough. I'm unlovable. And, you know, those are really young. Those are generally really old. And I think underneath that is like it's a desire to be loved. Um, I think sometimes people may feel missed or they might not feel validated with their fears of going into a new kind of relationship. And so if one person is more excited and they just don't want to slow down because their partner is having a feeling, the person who's having a feeling might, you know, cognitively be okay with um, an open relationship, but they just need to kind of process a few feelings and there's nothing wrong with that. But so that's where communication about, um, you know, what's happening. There's one person really eager. There's another person that's having a little bit of resistance, you know, rather than go from zero to a hundred when you open a relationship, let's try to go from zero to 0.5. Like we don't necessarily need to slow it down to a, you know, a stop, but like, let's make sure that if we're going to open a relationship that we, we talk about things and we put feelings on the table and we put scenarios on the table so that everyone feels acclimated to the new to the to the shift you know and so I think when people have the uh, space to just look at some of those beliefs like not good enough is is one of many um, but you know when people have the space to just sort of raise their hand and be like I'm having this experience and I don't want it to mean I'm not interested but I'm just having a hard time can you help me like that's where, where a third mm-hmm. party can be really helpful with that um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'd say the biggest one is I'm not good enough. Yeah, and I find that it's I'm not 
I'm not um, blank enough and fill in the blank with whatever. For some people it could be, um, you know, I'm not sexy enough or I'm not skinny enough, blonde enough, pretty enough, whatever. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm not blank enough. That's that says the whole thing. I love it. That's great. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and that can also be like a, a wide range of, um, for example, I, I found myself a little bit of an outlier, where I feel very comfortable if my partner falls in love with someone, but I I used to get more threatened when there was just a strong sexual passion with another person, um, and mm, uh, for many people it's the mm-hmm. opposite, where they're they'd be okay with their partner going out and having a fling. But just don't fall in love with them. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's interesting that you, you say can that, control because, that. Right. That's interesting that you say that because there generally is like that's a pattern that I see a lot in uh, in couples is that one person tends to fear the emotional connection uh, like that their partner might have with someone else, and then the other partner tends to fear the sexual connection that their partner might have with someone else. And lots of times it's the woman. It's interesting that you say something that's the opposite of what I usually get. But um, in my experience, it's been more of the feminine energy to fear the emotional connection and more of the masculine energy to fear the sexual connection, whether that's, you know, Mm -hmm. whether you're in a a female body or a male body doesn't really matter, but it's the masculine and feminine energies come up a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. I know. That's why I said I was kind of an outlier because it's, more common for women to fear the emotional connection, but I was the opposite. Like, I'm like, oh, you love somebody? Awesome. Let's bring them in. Let's, I'm like a puppy dog. Let's all love each other. But then my insecurities would come up around, oh, I'm, I'm not, um, she's more orgasmic than me, or maybe she squirts, or, <laughs> or right? you know, whatever. You know, she does, she turns you on more than me. So just whatever sexual insecurity used to get triggered in me around that. Not so much anymore, but that was true when, when I was new. <clears throat> yeah, and I think, too, like you bring up a good point. It's like when we're new to anything, like we have a tendency to compare. Um, we have a tendency to compare ourselves to other people, thinking that other people might have more experience, and we sort of lose touch with ourselves because we're looking at the outs. We're looking outside of ourselves. We're comparing our experience to everything that we see. And sometimes we let the external influence or impact our internal experience so much where it should be the other way around. We should allow our internal experience to really influence our external. But so that's another thing that like I've gotten as a very positive uh, result of practicing um, this lifestyle is like really like, staying true to the internal, like, yeah, like the external can inform me and yet like what's going on inside and do those match? Can those line up? If they don't, what needs to happen internally to see, you know, what I can do to have things feel more aligned. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about some of the false beliefs and what would you consider a negative behavior pattern? Is that different from false beliefs? Um, And if so, what are some of the negative behavior patterns that you see? Yeah, I would say the false belief is something that we um, unconsciously choose about ourselves. Like, for example, I'm I'm not blank enough, you know, I'm not good enough Mm -hmm. or I'm not sexy enough. Mm -hmm. So if Mm -hmm. I had the belief that I'm not sexy enough, then I might control, like I might do my best, spend 
like spend a lot of money trying to buy the sexiest wardrobe, like trying to put on the best makeup, trying to Mm. change my, like in order to not feel I'm not sexy enough, like I'm going to do my best to, to do what I can externally so that I can look sexy. Whether I feel it or not, I'm going to try to, like, change something. Um, another thing that people do is when, they're, when they don't feel good enough, like, they might decide to control everything. Because if they have control of their environment, if they have control of their partner, if they have control over who their partner sees, how often they see them, and what they do with that person, then they're going to feel more um, empowered. They're going to feel like they're, in, they're like good enough in their environment because they are in charge of it. And so control is huge. Um, another thing that comes up for people is they get really passive-aggressive. Um, rather than say what they're feeling, uh, they'll make a snide comment to their partner about, you know, oh, you go ahead and have a good fuck or something like that. Or, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. They just, people get mean, you know, people get, they jab each other. And so those are, again, those are behaviors that are negative um, and they are acting out in service to protecting the person who is having a feeling. Like rather than say, oh, like rather than attack a partner, you know, consider, hey, um, I don't really feel very proud that I'm having this experience, but I'm having this experience. And if I say it, I'm hoping that at least it won't be like this big monster inside of me. I'm feeling a little nervous that you're having a date tonight and I don't have a date. And I feel stupid because I'm saying that, but it's true. And I really want to feel connected to you. And I don't know how, like, just like bumping through the awkwardness of having a feeling like that's huge. And, you know, just that is, is the practice of just putting it out on the table, like moving towards the awkwardness in service to being more transparent about what your experience is, has so much, uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing what happens as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. Those are great examples. Um, so to shift the direction a little bit, you call yourself a poly coach. Um, and I'm just curious if you see a difference between coaching and counseling. And if so, what are the differences? Yeah, I would say well, one thing that's really um, that I love about a similarity between coaching and counseling is that I think coaches and counselors and therapists uh, really are in service to helping people create positive changes in their lives and in their relationships. So I love that. Uh, One thing that I've learned that is um, different uh, is that I don't specialize in the treatment of or diagnosing anybody. I don't really go too deep into trauma and deep into helping people heal uh, you know, just really painful wounds from childhood. Um, I'm an action-based uh, professional, and um, counseling tends to be more process-based. And one thing that I do is I like to start with present tense, and I always start with what's alive in the moment with any client that is in front of me or, you know, any client that I'm working with. And so what we may talk about an issue that they're having that may take us down the rabbit hole to something that happened in the past, but I'm always working in service to what's happening now, what's keeping you blocked from where you want to go. And what is that? What can we do? And how can we look at that block and how can we, how can that block 
communicate, like what does that block have to tell us and what needs to be healed and what needs to be looked at? Um, so I'm in service to helping people take action to create healthy behaviors. Um, that's one thing that I think is different. Another thing that I've noticed is that I can legally share my personal experience with my clients um, when it's in service to helping them gain a perspective in any given situation. I've found that when I've spoken with counselors and I share that with them, they're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's one thing we can't do. Like we can't actually share our experience with our clients. Like we have to keep a wall. We have to keep a very, you know, we have to keep a very clear distance where I can just, you know, share with someone, Hey, like, yeah, like I hear what you're saying. This happened to me last night or this happened to me a year ago, a year ago. And this is how I managed to work through it. So that's something that I think is really unique for people in the coaching field. And then another thing that I've learned is that um, like sometimes people will go to a therapist or a counselor and the therapist or the counselor will say, Oh, what's, what's the problem? Like I get what the problem is. The problem is the lifestyle. You know, and so they tend to encourage couples or encourage a person not to choose polyamory or not to open their relationship when that doesn't necessarily match what the person or the couple wants to look at. So I really mm-hmm. just look at the whole situation and, um, yeah, like I let clients put cards on the table and we just play a game and see, see what we're going to look at and see how we can help bring some clarity. Wonderful. And so if a a couple came to you and they'd had uh, infidelity show up in their relationship, um, would you ever recommend that they open their relationship to as kind of a solution to infidelity? No, this, it's really, really, it's really interesting how often people come to me and they start out the consultation saying, yeah, we're interested in opening our relationship. And then I end up having a one-on-one session with one of the, uh, one of the people in the relationship. And then they confess to me that, yeah, well, the reason why I want to open the relationship is because I cheated on my partner, um, you know, six years or six months ago and I want to come clean. It's just like, no, like that's not going to work, you know? And I just think that, um, you know, uh, opening a relationship can be a prevention, like it can, it it can prevent cheating, uh, because it really allows people to get clear with what they want and how to do that in a healthy way. But I do not think that open really opening a relationship is a solution to infidelity. Like, yeah, like if, if it's, it could be a way to go, but I think, um, where I have a difficult time is when, clients come to me and they've one of them has expressed that they've cheated on the other person and they don't want me to, you know, share that with the other person. And I'm not one to, um, you know, call anyone out, but I'm also not one to lie. And so if someone looked at me in the eye and said, you know, wow, like I think my partner has cheated on me. Do you know anything about that? Like, I'm not going to lie. So I always Mm -hmm. tell people, when they come to me, um, if they do share with me that they've cheated on their partner and that's why they want to open their relationship, I, I share with them. I was like, yeah, like I hear what you're saying. I get that you're in a bind and like, I can't, I don't know how to support, like in order for me to work with you, like we need to be a hundred percent transparent. And so I just really encourage people to be a hundred percent transparent. And unfortunately it's so common that people discover non-monogamy after they've cheated, discover polyamory after, after they've cheated on their partner. And 
you know, I kind of wish that there's a coaching niche, you know, or a coach that can work with these people because I just have a difficult time um, navigating through um, like a relationship that is based on not transparency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would think it would be really difficult for them to be able to to gain the kind of trust that's necessary for ethical non-monogamy when there's mm-hmm. already been that lack of trust, uh, that, that um, uh, betrayal or uh, dishonesty, uh, the, the basis mm-hmm. of opening their relationship. They'd have to kind of wipe the slate clean and take some time to rebuild mm-hmm. that trust first. Yeah, and yeah. then you just never know if that person is going to be open to it at that point. And so it's just, it's really hard. It's, it's, it's yeah, when somebody starts off from a cheating place, it just almost makes it near impossible. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me, I did actually have a, a partner cheat on me, even though we were polyamorous. <laughs> um, oh, yeah? And I, I, I was so shocked because I thought, wait, you're not supposed to you're polyamorous. You can't do that. <laughs> and it just like, right. I didn't even know who he was after that. It took me a long time to kind of recalibrate who this guy was. Cause I, he had been polyamorous for something like 30 years. And so I thought he was Mr. Polyamory. And then, you know, he tells me later, like, Oh, by the way, I've been having sex with this person, you know, several times and I didn't tell you. And, uh, I, I just was, that was especially jarring because I thought he was Mr. Polyamory. So no one is perfect. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and I think it's a shame, too. It's sort of like, and I get it. It's like I think we're not brought up to really feel comfortable being who we are. So often we uh, will hide parts of ourselves or we'll hide our feelings or we'll hide certain behaviors or we'll hide what we're doing because we don't want to hurt somebody or we don't want to, we don't want to create drama. And, you know, in reality, it, it's, it's uh, the opposite happens. You know, it's like if we choose not to tell our partner and we cheat on them with somebody else, then, you know, when, it's it's going to come out at some point and when it does it just creates a lot of pain and so why do that you know just find a way to um move through and talk about things and and i get that it's hard and that's where it's really helpful to um work with a third party you know mhm exactly so we're almost out of time Lori the time just flew by i've really enjoyed speaking with you um, but before we end, um, do you have any last-minute tips that you can offer our listeners who are eager to open their relationship? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I say, first of all, like, if you're interested in opening your relationship, it's a really good idea to go slow. Um, so many people get excited and they just want to like, woohoo, like, you know, go crazy. And, and I think it's just really important to go slow, to do some research, um, come up with a plan before you, before you actually put it lot, like so come up with a plan before it goes live. So that means having conversations and talking about certain scenarios and finding, checking in with yourselves and checking in with your relationship and just seeing where some of your blind spots might be. I think it's really helpful to really put all the cards on the table and look at things um, because, you know, anyone who opens their relationship, like stuff is going to come up and it's just really good to have a solid foundation uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you. So um, we just have a few more minutes, and I want to give you time to share with our listeners 
how they can reach you if they're interested in possibly working with you. And I believe you also have an offer for our listeners. I do, yeah. So uh, my website is poly-coach.com, really easy to remember, poly-coach.com. I have an email address. People can contact me there too. It's polycoaching at gmail.com hollycoaching at gmail.com. If you go to my website, uh, there's all of my contact information there. So you could fill out a contact request form. There's a link to my calendar. So you could actually schedule something. And what I like to do is I offer a free 30-minute coaching consultation to anyone who is listening, as well as anyone who's curious about and or considering uh, opening their relationship or curious about polyamory, or if you're just already involved in a polyamorous relationship and you want to talk to someone uh, just to sort of get some ideas of how to maybe navigate through certain situations, I'm here to help. Again, it's poly-coach.com and the consultation is just a great way to help you get clear on what's next, whether that's um, and how you would want to move forward if you were to open your relationship or not. So I'd be really excited to talk to anybody who's interested in setting up a, a session with me. Beautiful. Well, thanks again so much for being my guest, Lori. It was delightful getting to know you, and you have uh, real great depth and breadth of knowledge in this area, and I appreciate all the work that you're doing to support healthy, empowering, ethical, non-monogamous relationships. So thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. Uh, Thank you so much, Tia. It was really great being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks again. Okay. Bye-bye. So thank you for listening to our show today. Uh, Next week, we'll be speaking with Romy Ilan, the founder of Ecstatic Festivals. And Ecstatic Festivals are taking place all over California, and they are growing. They'll be coming to a state near you soon, I'm sure. Um, These are beautiful, what I call boutique festivals, Um, really excellent festivals. smallish festivals that really build community and have a lot of experts in the areas of um, relationships, polyamory, communication, um, conflict resolution, sexuality, uh, dance, movement, health, nutrition, um, just kind of a holistic festival that where um, polyamorous people are more than welcome and, and very included and integrated into these festivals. So I'm looking forward to speaking with Romy Elon next week. Please join us at 6 o'clock every Tuesday night. I look forward to speaking, uh, having you all listen, and we're signing off for the night. <laughs>